Well, good morning, Bethel. It is good to be with you. I'm going to start with a disclaimer this morning. I have spent uh, five months at West Park, your sister church, which is West. <laughs> you know, I had farmers. When I was pastor, I had farmers in my church. and I'd say, Where, how do I get there? You go up that road and you turn north. And I'm going, I'm from city. Is that left or right? West. Anyways, I was at West Park for five months. And last Sunday was my last Sunday because I was coming to join you. Pastor Allen had invited me a year ago to come and do this. And so uh, last Sunday, of course, uh, people are shaking hands with me and hugging me. And that was all lovely and sweet. And as I'm driving away, I'm saying, if I'm ever going to get sick, it's going to be today because all them people. And on Tuesday morning, I woke up this week, and dead relatives were beckoning me towards the light. <laughs> and I was sick as a dog, as they say in the South. And uh, so I, uh, I spent the week in bed, so I'm breathing out onto you now, fumes of death. And... Uh, <clears throat> So, uh, so I'm not in my best form, so maybe I'm setting a nice low threshold. We'll work our way up, right? But it is a delight to be with you. Open your Bibles this morning to uh, the book of Matthew. We're going to start in Matthew. We're in the series on Acts, but I want to set the compass a little bit this morning. I'm going to turn over there myself to the book of Matthew. And I'm looking here, hoping I've written the right uh, chapter 16. My sermon title this morning, brothers and sisters, is called God Loves Cornelius and Billy Oswald. I hope that'll make sense when we get to the end. God Loves Cornelius and Billy Oswald. Uh, some of you went to Israel with me a bit of over Who all went to Israel? Yeah, hey, 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 Switzers, yeah, great, wonderful. Good thing we went. It's harder to go nowadays. It's going to be a long time until you can go to Israel again, I think. So we snuck in under the wire. Uh, in Israel, there's two Caesareas. One is Caesarea Philippi, which is the northernmost place that Jesus ministered that we know of that's recorded in the Scripture. That's the headwaters to the Jordan River. That's uh, uh, the, the highest point that his disciples traveled to, uh, Caesarea Philippi. Philip, named Philippi, named after Philip. Herod's son. And then there's a second Caesarea, which is Caesarea Maritima, or Caesarea by the sea, maritime. Okay, Both of those places are connected to our story this morning. In, a, in uh, Matthew chapter 16, they travel up to Caesarea Philippi. Look at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And here we have Simon Peter. And he replies with this great pronouncement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He, he nails it. He articulates with great clarity and conviction who Christ is. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which is Simon Johnson, Simon, son of Jonah, 
For flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, now there's much conjecture what that means, what the keys to the kingdom of heaven look like, and theologians have commiserated over this uh, for hundreds of years. I think a very reasonable one and, and a, a position that many hold is this. Peter's basically given two keys, if you will, that he's going to unlock the door of the gospel and allow entrance into the kingdom of God. Uh, one of those keys is the key to the Jewish people. And you've been studying the book of Acts. If you look back way back to Acts chapter 2, you'll see that uh, Peter proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and hundreds and hundreds of people respond. The second key to the kingdom of God, I would suggest, is what we're going to look at this morning in Acts chapter 10. So turn in your Bible over to Acts chapter 10. We're going to look at that second Caesarea, Caesarea Maritima. It's going to be our geography. But in this door, Peter is allowed to unlock the gospel to the Gentiles. Us, if you will. To come to the kingdom of God. And my message today will show you a few interesting realities. Am I, am I okay? Am I dropping out? Or I've dropped out of a lot of things. Another one. Am I dropping out? Can, is that me, Kevin, or am I supposed to do anything here? No? Okay, we're good? Okay. Three, uh, Acts chapter 10. Listen, follow the word of the Lord. Here's what I want to do over the next few minutes. I'm going to walk you through the story. Okay, we got a lot of ground to cover. I'm going to walk you through the story, make some comments. And then at the end, I want to give you three life lessons, three important kingdom life lessons from Acts chapter 10 this morning. Here we go. Here are the word of the Lord. At Caesarea, again, Maritima, on the Mediterranean coast, 38 miles north of what today is Tel Aviv. Okay, to Tel Aviv. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Let's make some observations to begin with about Cornelius. Well, he's a Roman. He's part of the occupying force of the Jewish people. He's a centurion. And... Uh, you probably don't need a lot of explanation to know that much of the heartache and trouble that has stirred in Israel in these last few months is to do with the concept and idea, whether what, how you view this. I'm not making a, a comment either way on this, but the sense of occupation and land that's not rightfully somebody's or somebody else's, and the, the thing swirls. But that's who Cor Cornelius is. He's a Roman on Jewish soil. He's a centurion. This is a warrior. This is, uh, this is not like aristocrats who go into the military, you know, like, uh, remember the, the, the queen's grandson, he flew, flew the helicopter. You know, he wasn't down in the trenches with people, you know, you get a little more refined role. It's not the case with Cornelius. Cornelius is a battle-hardened soldier. These centurions, they had proved themselves. They were sort of the gladiator types. 
He had seen battle. He was a tough guy. Of course, he's also a Gentile. Hey, they. He's not one of them. He's a Gentile. And Peter is resolutely a Jew. But he is a God-fearer, you'll notice there. He feared God. Now, this is a term Acts that refers to people who are aligning themselves with Jewish theological realities. They're practicing some Judaism. We see there that uh, he's doing that in his life, even though he is a Gentile. The, the main threshold that Cornelius has not crossed as an adult male is he is practicing Judaism, but he has not yet been circumcised. You think baptism is a hard sell. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Hey, Cornelius, you, you know, you should go the distance and become a full Jew. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, maybe. What does it entail? Yeah, I don't think so. I'll sit in the back. He, he hasn't made the full leap, if you will. But he's also a man of mercy. He's a man of mercy. He's been giving alms. He's generous. He's got a tenderness in his heart about him. And then, interestingly, we read that he is a man of prayer. Hmm. A man of prayer. It tells us he prayed continually to God. Cornelius is a very unusual man. Uh, you know, if you were looking at Cornelius, a Jewish lens you'd be saying, man, he's an unusual guy. He, he's kind of hard to put into a slot. We kind of like to do that, don't we? We like to sort of get people and get our, our perspective on them, and then hopefully they fit neatly into a little place where we can put them. It's easier to handle people when you can do that. Look at verse 3, about the ninth hour. This is the... 3 p.m., of course, the Jewish hour of prayer. He's actually honoring the Jewish prayer times. About the ninth hour on the day he saw, of the day, he saw clearly a vision, an angel of God, and God come from, and God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, Lord, capital L. Lord, capital L. We'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. He said to him, you're and you're going crazy, or am I going crazy? Okay, can we do something, Nate? Or, you know, either something's going wrong or I'm having a stroke. So I, I can just look at people's faces and they're kind of, you know, it's no, you know, sound systems are not the operators. Sound systems are named Jezebel. Oh, now I'm going to do the charismatic thing. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. You can switch me over to this? Okay. This will maybe worse. Um, I feel like Paul Anker or something. I don't know. <laughs> what is it, Lord? And then look what it says next. Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Here's a tricky theological question. Does God answer the prayers or hear the prayers of people who are not saved? 
Uh, I am an evangelist at heart. I have no problem saying to people, you're far from God. Can I ask you to do something? Will you pray every day for a week, a month, and say, God, reveal yourself to me? I think God's happy to answer that prayer. We know that Cornelius is religious. He's right living in many ways, but he is not saved. I've heard people say, you know, he's a Christian. No, he is not. And the reason we know that is if you go over to chapter 11, you will see that Peter is now in chapter 11 repeating the story that we're going to unpack here. And in chapter 11, he actually says that, you know, somebody appeared to Cornelius and said, go and get Simon Peter and Simon Peter will come and bring you a message by which you will be saved because at that point he's not. At that point he is not. What an interesting guy. Being religious, I think we can all agree this morning, is not the same as being redeemed. Amen? Not the same. Being religious means keeping up. I got to keep up with the religious stuff. Being redeemed means you can rest. Right? Being religious means that you're going to rest in your own work, in your own performance. Being redeemed means you get to rest in the finished work of Christ. So two different realities. That's why Isaac Watts wrote, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them through his blood. Look at verse 10, uh, pardon me, verse 5, chapter 10. Now send me men to Joppa and bring, the word there in the Greek is summons, go to Joppa, you tell Peter, he's got to come. This is not like, hey, Peter, if you get time, head up. Head up to Caesarea here, a guy named Cornelius. No, no, I'm summonsing you. A Roman official is asking you to come. Verse number nine, the next day as they were on their journey approaching the city, as I said, 38 miles from Maritima down the Mediterranean coast to Joppa or Jaffa. This is the same city that Jonah had his ill-fated adventure where he sailed from. What's happening in Joppa? Well, it tells us there, in verse 9, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, now these are these terraced roofs, you know, where you go up and they have a sort of a, a, a concrete railing kind of around the outside. Peter goes up there, he's hungry. He yells downstairs, somebody throw a bagel in the toaster. And while he's waiting, he falls into some kind of a trance and he sees the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending being let down by four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and the birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now look at verse 14. Very interesting verse. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Stop there. I want you to notice two very important realities. You can say, Lord, and you can say no, but you can't say them together. That is known linguistically as an oxymoron. You can say, no, you can say, Lord, but when you put them together, 
you are in a very precarious position. One of my mentors years ago told me the simplest way to understand the Christian life is this. You say, I believe, and then after you say, I believe, you say, yes, Lord, to every other thing he asks of you. But let us remember where Peter has come from. Let's give Peter a little room on this, right? Peter has, a Jew, been raised on kasherut, which is the Hebrew word for the dietary laws that they have to follow and that are prescribed to them. There's certain foods that they're permitted to eat as a Jew, of course, and many of you know this, and, and there's others that are forbidden in Jewish law. And this has been ingrained in Peter, you know, from day one. And, and kasherut laws are numerous and they are complex. But there's a few basic principles. There's only certain kinds of mammals, of course, and birds and fish meeting specific criteria that are considered kosher, which is the acceptable in Hebrew. Acceptable is what kosher means. You cannot eat, uh, of course, insects, you know, or invertebrates, except for one. Does anybody know what one is allowed? Locusts. That's right. Very good. Locusts are allowed. <laughs> You're saying, oh, boy, that's great, isn't it? And get out the chocolate sauce. And so he's been raised on this, and this has been ingrained to him. And, and verse 12 says, In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So this is confusing to Peter. This fights against his very being. Well, you know, what if you were here one Sunday at Bethel? You know, you came on a Sunday and you see, look over. Oh, there's a new family. I don't know that new family. You go over and say, hi, new family. We're the So, oh, good, yeah. Are you new? Yeah, we just moved to Strathroy. Oh, welcome to Strathroy. Okay, yeah, good. And they say to you, hey. We're trying to meet people in town, and we're thinking about Bethel. You know, would you come over this afternoon? This, you know, it's a nice summer Sunday afternoon, and we're going to throw some dogs on the barbecue. And you come, and you say, "Hey, that'd be lo we would love to come." And you show up about five o'clock, and you, you look over, and the smoke's coming off the barbecue. You're excited, and you say, "Well, it's good to meet you guys. Whoa, everything's cooking over there. It smells good." And uh, you guys say, yeah, we, we, the barbecue's going to say you threw some dogs on. What are they? Are they Snyder Red Hots? Are they Ballpark Franks? And they say, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's two Pekingese and a miniature poodle. <laughs> oh, you see? Oh, boy. Oh. You ever had, you ever had Pekingese? Oh, they're good. You see, that's just a little distasteful, isn't it? You go, oh, you'd be saying, you know what? Look at the time. We've got to go. I've got a dance fit class in the morning. <laughs> you know, in Canada, in many countries of the world, you know, you can't eat dog, a dog or a cat, but it's legal in Canada. Did you know that? It's nothing illegal. So you couldn't say, well, that's illegal, but it's distasteful to you because it's everything that you have ever thought of, of dogs and pets and everything, and to eat one is just, boom. That's where Peter's at. He's struggling. But I want you to notice something else. In the second part of verse 9, we read that Peter went up on the household about the sixth hour to pray. Let me just read between the lines for you here. This, this is a terrace that he's on. He's in a particular man's house. Does anybody know whose house he's in? Simon the Tanner. Simon the Tanner. 
Simon, I would suggest to you, is a Gentile because he's a tanner. And if you tan hides, that means you have to work with dead animals, which makes you unclean in Jewish law. I would expect that when Peter is up on the roof, there's probably hides drying up there. And he takes this very pious stance that I have never touched anything that is unclean. I would never do that, Lord. And yet he's interacting with a man who probably, strictly speaking in Jewish law, would be considered unclean. Isn't that typical of us? We're a little selective on the sins that we find distasteful and the sins that we find acceptable. And so all of this is rolling in Peter's heart and his head. And then 15 tells us, what God has made clean, do not call common. Three times that happens. And when it's over, Peter, it says in verse 17, is perplexed. And then I'll walk you quickly through what happens. You know what happens. These men show up from Maritima, and they recount the story that Cornelius is expecting them to come up to Maritima and to share with them. And Peter, his whole world has kind of been stood on his head. And so he goes up there, and when he walks in, Cornelius falls down on his face to worship Peter. And Peter is smart enough and knows enough to say, stand up, Cornelius, I'm just a man. You don't worship me. But I'll tell you about the one who's worthy of your worship. And then the story is recounted as to what happens to Cornelius and what he has done. And you get to uh, verses 38 through 43. And let me just say this. If you're a Bible marker, put a little mark at the beginning of verse 38 and a little mark at the end of verse 43 and write this word, the gospel. Because that's the gospel. That's the good news right there. Peter unpacks it for Cornelius in a beautiful, succinct way. Tells the story of Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection. While Peter was, verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews who had come with Peter, were amazed, look at this, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Because God loves Cornelius. Now let me give you three kingdom lessons from this great story, friends, this morning. The first one is this. As God's servants, we are always in process. In, per, in verse 35, Peter eats humble pie. I would suggest it's humble pork pie for poor old Peter. In fact, look at verse 34 first. So Peter opened his mouth. This is when he goes and meets with Cornelius after he's had this experience where God says, Peter, if I made something... Who are you to say whether it's clean or unclean or common or un... And Peter says this in verse 34 and 35. Truly, I understand, you could almost put in now, because he's got a new understanding, that God shows no partiality. 
but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know, there's a huge danger in thinking you've got the Christian life figured out. Amen? I just love senior saints who follow Jesus with great enthusiasm and passion and humility and are still growing as they're going. Paul is the most prolific author, of course, in the New Testament. In Philippians 3, he makes an amazing statement. He says, brothers and sisters, I have not yet considered to make it my own. In other words, he says, you know what? I haven't got this all figured out, but this one thing I do. I'm still on the journey. I'm pressing forward, pressing forward towards Christ Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. He keeps us on the journey, friends. Stay the course. Keep growing as you're going. As you grow in the Christian life, make sure you get better, not bitter. I see Christians that do that all the time. Grow up in Christ, just don't grow old in Christ. The second thing I want you to know is this. We are not to curate the kingdom of God. We are not to curate the kingdom of God. I told you my sermon title was God Loves Cornelius and Billy Oswald. When I was a kid growing up in Cambridge, I grew up in Cambridge, there was a family. I've changed the family name, but there was a family I'm going to call the Oswalds. They were kind of the other side of the track type of folks. You know, every small town has families that you hear the family name and you go, oh yeah, the so-and-sos, right? In fact, if you don't have somebody like that here in Strathroy, it, it might be your family, actually. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but the Oswalds, they were kind of rough and ready, and they lived in a ramshackle house, and their kids were ragtag. And they were just those kind of people. Well, back in the 70s, a wonderful, godly couple... Uh, from the church that I ended up becoming the pastor of, reached out to the Oswalds and drove up one Sunday morning and began a weekly stop at their house and loaded those ragtag, smelly kids in their station wagon and brought them to church. And they did that week in and week out. Those kids heard the gospel, they heard the stories of the Bible, they learned about Jesus. And then eventually they drifted off. One of those was Billy Oswald. Fast forward 30 plus years and I'm now the pastor at that church. And a man shows up at the office window one day and he wants to see my associate pastor who had been the lead pastor back in the 70s and 60s. And this man now was a better part of 50 years of age and his name was Billy Oswald. And life had been very, very tough to Billy. It had beat him up and beat him down. But all of those Sundays when that dear couple loaded those kids in their station wagon and brought them to forward and they heard the stories of the gospel, he was like Cornelius. He'd done some praying in his life. He, he tried to do some things that were godly, but he just didn't have it figured out. And finally, he came to a place where he said, I have got to go the distance. And he showed up at our church office window, and he wanted to see Pastor Ernest. And that day, Pastor Ernest led him to Jesus. And he got baptized. Isn't that amazing? 
because that family decided not to curate the kingdom of God. They were the Gentiles of Peter's mind. I have found that God is often at work long before I ever showed up. Amen? And when I believe the spiritual temperature of a person or family was stone cold, I have found that often God was warming them up. Final thing, and then I'll be done and we'll go to communion. Final thing is this. God loves those the world considers unlovable, including Cornelius and Billy Oswald and who else? Who else? Come on, who else? Us. Because some days you're unlovable. Some days I'm unlovable. You know, the, 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 the high watermark of pride is to think that my sin is less detestable to God than yours is. Right? God loves Cornelius and Billy Oswald, and he loves us. What a glorious reality. Amen? I can hardly imagine that God would love me. How could God love me so perfectly when I love him so poorly? It's an amazing reality. In every culture, in every community, in every country, there's considered those who are unlovable. Let me ask you this this morning, Bethel, just as we close. Who's your Cornelius? Who's your Billy Oswald? Who's that person that, if, if God was to really look deep inside your heart, you've said, you know what, they, they would just need to polish themselves up a little bit to get closer to God, and then God will get closer to them. You know what that is? That's sin. God can save whoever he wants, and he does. But let me ask you this, who's the unlovable in your world? God's servants are always in progress. It's a good thing. Don't curate the kingdom of God. You don't know who he wants to reach and how he's going to do it, but he might use you. And God loves those the world considers unlovable, including Cornelius and Biz Billy Oswald and you and me. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Father God, we are so deeply grateful this morning that the gospel kingdom key unlocked the door to the Gentiles because it means that it has come to us. And we are unlovable in so many ways. But how great your love is. Father God, may we remember that you're still at work in us. May you crush things that we hold things that are sinful like racism and exclusivism that grieve your heart, God. God, may we not curate the kingdom, but see everyone through the eyes that Jesus sees them. And finally, God, thank you that you love us and you love those who are unlovable. May we have the heart of Jesus.